You sent in the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf, and I am so happy that you are joining me. Today is a wonderful episode featuring a conversation with uh, such a lovely, lovely guy, Mr. Hector Navarro, who you have seen on Nerdist and Geek and Sundry and Collider and tons of other outlets, uh, including hosting Nickelodeon's animation podcast. Um, Hector is Hector is an acquaintance of mine. We're not uh, super good friends, but I was thrilled when he said yes to recording an episode with me. And I have to be honest with you, and you'll hear this in the episode, I was shocked at his choice, um, which was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I think that's because I know Hector through our geek culture circles, um, but I did not know about his experience and passion for animation. And so it made perfect sense that he would pick the first American feature-length animated film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, this conversation, I I was I was a little worried. Um, not because the conversation isn't great. The conversation is wonderful and enlightening and goes a million different places. But I was nervous that maybe people would see that the movie is Snow White and they wouldn't click on it. Um, and and I was w- nervous not because oh numbers or analytics or anything like that, but mostly because this conversation is so good. It's so fun and and as I said earlier, it goes in so many different places. And so if you're listening to this introduction, I'm really glad that you uh, overcame any potential preconceived notions. Hector and I talk about animation overall. We talk about the Disney of it all. We talk about fairy tales. And can fairy tales still resonate, especially traditional ones and old-fashioned ones like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Can they still resonate with an audience in 2018? Um, we talk about Superman. We talk about the list, the the wonderful AFI list that I gives my uh, gives my guests uh, all their parameters and and a lot of other things. But ultimately, overall. Um, this was a really fun one. And before we get into the episode, I want to say one thing. Um, so if you're listening this far, thank you. I know I'm only two minutes in, but, um, this show is completely independently produced. If you follow me on social media, I've been trying to be transparent with the idea that um, I'm figuring this out as I go. I thought I was ready to launch the show back in November, and every week I discover a new challenge or something new um, that is is difficult and that I have to learn what I'm doing. And I just wanted to say thank you for being here. I wanted to say thank you for your patience. Um, I love doing this show and I want it to grow and I want it to be a part of my long-term career because I'm learning so much about people and I'm learning so much about the way we uh, all communicate over film and through film and how we've been doing it for over a hundred years since the medium was invented. And I, and I, but, you know, I don't have it all figured out just yet. And um, so I'm really, really grateful for your patience with me, with the production, with with everything. Um, it, it means a lot to me. And, and I know it's only going to get better. And I know we're less than 10 episodes in. So we're still a baby in podcast years. <laughs> but uh, but I, I appreciate your support. And one more thing. Um, I am very aware of the way that I talk and the way that I communicate. I've seen some of the reviews that have said that, you know, I, I lose track or lose focus or jump around too much or I pause or stall when I say like, um, or, uh, um, and I just did it again. But 
I'm working on that too. I'm working every day to be a better producer and to be a better host and to be a better conversationalist and to be more focused and to always be ready and prepared. But sometimes when you have authentic conversations, you're not prepared for the the topics that are going to come forward. And so what you're hearing is always a very authentic conversation. And I hope if nothing else, that comes through and is understood that the way that we're communicating is off the cuff and conversational and supposed to be fun and not supposed to be prepared remarks. And, um, so I hope that, I hope that that's clear. And, and I, again, thank you for your patience and for listening. Okay. So that's it. Uh, thanks again, guys. This is a great episode. You're in for a treat without further ado. Here is Hector Navarro discussing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I'm so lucky that I have my 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 good friend Folsom Keller who uh, does all my post production for me because nice. I am not the most tech savvy in the world. Shout out to Folsom. Shout out to Folsom. He makes the he makes the wheels turn. Is Folsom's last name Keller? It is. That's so funny. My roommate and good friend, his first name is Keller. Really? And until that point, I'd never met a person named Keller. I like that name. That's yeah. a good name. It's, uh, they're Irish. Yeah. They're, yep. Folsom isn't Irish, <laughs> but Keller is. Yeah. Um, yeah, their dad is, um, Sean's dad, or Folsom's dad, uh, composed the theme for the pod. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And he, um, he also was the writer and composer of the musical I produced this summer. Yeah, I you produced, produced a, a uh huh. I produced and was in a slasher musical. Oh my god! Yeah, called Slashed the I musical. Might, I might have to like have a cast ask you album. about that. You guys have an album. Uh, we have a cast. Oh, album. I'm definitely gonna check that out. It's but I might free. have to ask you how you did that. Yeah. Later, I'm, yeah. I might call upon your services later Please. because one of my dreams is to put together a musical based on the comic book character Doctor Doom. Oh, great! Like legit, I want to do like a Doctor Doom musical, like a like a nice low budget, you know, yes. put it up at an LA theater. Yes, uh, sort of comedy musical thing. It would yeah. be my dream to to <laughs> consult on this project. Perfect, perfect. I can tell you that right now. Um, yeah, that's and that's I, look music when you do musicals that are fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I I think that there's a real like it's a really special thing when you can blend the two worlds mm-hmm. and music. Musicals are just so fantastical in the first place yeah. that um, that when you blend two fantastical things, whether it's slasher movies or Doctor Doom, yes. it's it can be yes. a really like chocolate and peanut butter great combination. <sighs> it's very cliche, but like the whole thing that that Lin Manuel Miranda, how uh-huh. he put together Hamilton, was in him him reading these biographies and reading these books and just being so like impressed and obsessed with this guy's life that that's what led to the most groundbreaking musical of the past, you know, yes. 20 years. Like, that's awesome. Because you, you can feel the passion in the work. You can go see it, and you can you can see how passionate this guy was about this yep. subject matter. So it helps to be passionate about what you're singing and dancing Absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> do, do you write music? No, oh. not at all. But see, now, I, I know people that do. Okay. I, see, I'm a good producer, see, and that I'll go and find, yes. you know, the talented people. I'm like, hey, hey, come here. Help me with this thing. That's, that is the know. hallmark of a good producer. <laughs> yeah. um, and speaking of a good producer, let me go ahead and introduce you. So, Hector Navarro, thank you for chatting today. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. I am Beyond thrilled. I am beyond thrilled that you agreed <laughs> to do it. So you and I don't really know each other super well, um, but we work together in various capacities and adjacent to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I, um, I'm very glad that you said yes to the show, but I was shocked at your pick. Really? Yes, I, I was. I felt like, because you told me, you're like, listen, Hector, you can be on brand or as off brand as you want. Yep. And maybe my brand, especially in our circles, is very like superhero. Yes. Movie, like that's my thing. But uh, I, uh, it's so funny because I, um, one of my favorite jobs that I've been able to do the past couple of years is I'm, I host a podcast for Nickelodeon, the oh. Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. They let me go to their building once a week oh, when we're in so season cool. and interview creators and showrunners and voice actors and anybody and everybody that's related to not only just Nickelodeon cartoons, I've interviewed uh, the the director of Kung Fu Panda. Cool. I've interviewed like just, you know, I've interviewed Pete Doctor at Pixar, like th- these incredible opportunities. Um, and it, it's funny because I got that job through knowing a guy who worked at Nickelodeon, but he knew me through improv. 
Great. And then he knew yeah. I was doing hosting stuff. He goes, Hector would be great for this. He had no idea that I went to college for animation. No. I have a degree in, in my, my degree is in media arts and animation. Haven't really used it other than knowledge. Uh, and now I get to host this thing for Nickelodeon, but I have a deep seated love for all things animation. Um, and, and if there's anything that I can, if there's anything that I'm happy about bringing to any of the shows and things online that I do that have an audience that loves superhero movies and yes. comic books and all the, that very like nerd dude audience. Yes. If there's one thing I'm happy about, it's that every once in a while I get to bring that audience to the attention of, hey, go see this animated film. Yeah. Go Go back and look at this thing that you missed. If you like this, you'll love this. And so I love doing that stuff. So, so I thought this was the most on-brand pick, the first ever fully animated <laughs> film, one of only two Animated movies on the top 100 AFI, what is it, 10th anniversary? It's, yeah. It's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Toy Story. Yes. And that's it. Yes. So I was like, oh, this is the most on-brand thing for me. But I love that you thought it was like a like a far left field well, choice. That's great. But that's, that's what's so cool is that like when in, I found in doing this podcast, like, yeah, for us, it feels so obvious, you know, or for you, it feels so obvious. But like you get to know people sure. in a different way yeah. when they, when you give them the task of picking <laughs> off of like a huge list mm -hmm. um, because, and, and uh, I love that you were like, nope, this is the one. Sometimes people will email me with like three or five choices. Mm. And they'll be like, you know, what do you think about each one of these? And and I'll say, well, you know, I like this one for this reason, this yeah. one for that reason. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. I'm not going to lie. I looked up all of your episodes and the first thing I looked was like, did anybody do Snow Okay, done. I'm doing Snow White. That's like so that was great. the first thing. And then I listened to some. But yeah, that was my first, uh, my first fear was like, oh, I'm sure somebody's already done it. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't even been in their like decision making yeah. process. It, mm -hmm. It's great, and so um, I uh, we were talking before we started rolling, and I and I it was hard for me to do, but I was like, I'm not going to tell you. I have to wait. We have to wait. For How the did show. you see it? How did you see the so, movie? I um, bought it on Amazon. Very nice. Yes, okay, cool. I, does that come with special features? No, oh, I don't. Bummer. Well, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think I just bought the digital download, sure, but I should sure. look into that actually because yeah. you know Disney and in their infinite wisdom they <laughs> they they don't let you rent things. That's true. And I I was hoping that it it's was in on the vault. Yeah, exactly. It's in the <laughs> vault, the, that old vault. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. And I was hoping it would be on. Um, it would be on Netflix because you know they have a lot mm -hmm. of the Disney titles, but mm -hmm. no such luck. So yeah. I did watch it l legally. Yeah. I own this now. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's that's cool. I'm I'm happy to own it. In fact, I remember my dad bought us. Well, we had this movie on VHS uh, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, but he did buy it on DVD when DVDs were first a thing. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if that was one of the DVDs that I snagged from my parents' house and mm. brought with me. And I flipped through my my book of DVDs, yeah. and alas, it was not no. there. <laughs> So, so, and you got to watch your, your Blu-ray? Look, I am the physical media nerd that will go to Best Buy almost every Tuesday and be like, what's the new movie mm -hmm. that is put on? Because I know they force you to buy it in the first week because it's like cheaper. Yeah. It's like a little bit yes. discounted in that yes. first week. And especially in the case of Disney films. Oh, they're so that expensive. That stinking vault. They're expensive, but that stinking vault that you know, it's like, oh, okay, look. This is the second time Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, I think, was put out on Blu-ray. But the first time, it's like it's out of print, technically. You'll have to go on eBay to go get that first release. So when I saw that they put this out, I hadn't even seen the movie in years. But I'm like, well, this is a must-have for me. I'll go and buy Blu-rays. And there's a ton on my shelf that I still haven't even opened yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm also the completest where when I get one, I have to – I have like a small section on my shelf that is movies that I recently purchased – watched and then watched all the special features of uh -huh. everything audio commentaries everything and that's my little like okay i'm done with these and i have the entire rest of my library that i'm like trying to go through so i needed an excuse to sit down and do um the snow white special features and i'm glad i did and i'm gonna say this is like a disney's not paying me but if you do have a chance to find the most recent edition of the blu-ray it's like got the white cover where mm -hmm. snow white and the queen are it's really the Queen's movie, let's be honest. I mean, but they're like right. they're like back to back. You know, mm -hmm. I think they did a similar motif with Sleeping Beauty and some other recent. Oh. You know, um, I didn't think that there was going to be a bunch of great special features on there. There's, there, there are those obnoxious Disney ones that they'll put like a recent Disney Channel star, yes, and like a like a four minute like sizzle explaining something you already know about Snow White, and it's like for kids, and you're like, oh, this is obnoxious. But you get through that, and there are like like a, like multiple like thirty minute long documentaries about the making of the film, the uh -huh. history, the people involved, the history of Hyperion Studios, which is where they actually animated it. Mm -hmm. And it's great. It's great stuff. So highly recommend it. Deep dive into special features. 
They're awesome. Was there something that stood out to you in particular that you were like, oh my God? There is so, the, the main, my main takeaway is I've been doing some reading on the film and watching all the special features. The main takeaway is like how risky this was. Yeah. How we look back on it now and it's so simple and so basic. We'll talk about how influential Snow White is and how you can see. I know when you and Jen Yamoto talked about Star Wars, mm -hmm. you were also discussing Austin Powers, one yes. of my favorites, and that you saw that first, same here. Yes. Then you go back and you see the Sean Connery Bonds and you cannot take them, but like you, you felt like you've seen them yes. because of Austin Powers. The same is true with Snow White. You watch Absolutely. Snow White and you're like, oh, this is what Shrek is spoofing. Oh, this is what Enchanted is spoofing. Oh, this is what even Frozen or Tangled or more recent Disney princesses mm -hmm. are kind of um, riffing on. Mm -hmm. And there's, it, there's just like, it almost seems like every single scene in this movie went on to influence yeah. animation in general, especially Disney. I mean, if you don't know that Sleeping Beauty is like its own fairy tale, you could just look at Snow White and go, oh, well, they just like the idea that at the end of, of The Princess is Asleep and they made a whole movie on that, which is Sleeping Beauty. Like it's right. just so, it's so, um, its DNA is like so basic, I would say, but only because it was, it was the first. Yes. And what's crazy, the takeaway is like, Walt Disney was such a perfectionist all of the men and women who worked on the movie were, or especially some of these animators, these guys were such perfectionists. And an animator would introduce something. I love these ideas in animation. Like one of my favorites is in Shrek where Mike Myers recorded the whole thing after Chris Farley passed away. Chris Farley was originally mm -hmm. gonna be the voice of Shrek. And which makes sense physically. You're like, oh, yeah, that's more of a Farley type than a Mike Myers. So Mike Myers did it because his friend passed away. He recorded, I think, essentially the whole movie in his Mike Myers voice. And at one point he was at home and he was messing around with his Scottish, you know, like similar to the father and so I married yes, an ax murder. Yes. And he came back to DreamWorks and he goes, I had an idea, can we, can I try this? And then he kind of asked them, can I re-record everything? And they said, yes, mm -hmm. because Mike Myers knew and I'm sure DreamWorks knew like, oh, this is the character, but that's crazy. So a similar thing happened in, in Snow White where like one animator would introduce a little step in Dopey there was like a little delayed, you know, kind of a little skip or a hop or whatever. Um, and Walt Disney would like it so much, he would make the other animators that had finished sequences go oh. back and add that to Dopey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, and it was this four-year process of making Snow White, that level of perfectionism, that level of um, just, just spending every waking minute making this thing up to the wire, up to right when it was uh, released in December of 1937, like a mm. few weeks before, they were like, oh, we have to reshoot this sequence and do this and do that. And we look back on it and it seems like such a no-brainer, but like everybody was saying, this is gonna fail. Mm -hmm. People were, <laughs> like watching the special features, people were saying that when they heard that Disney was gonna do a full-length animation, that some critics or whoever were saying like, oh, we can't look at a cartoon for more than six minutes. Like it'll hurt our eyes. <laughs> we'll go crazy. Like we, like we will be like, we'll get nauseous from yeah. watching colors for more than seven minutes or whatever. It was insane. So that was my takeaway that it was like the, the riskiest endeavor that essentially built the studio. Mm -hmm. The amount of, like they were, they went so over it, budget. It literally built the studio. It built the studio. Like Burbank. Uh, that's what yes. I was reading is that they took exactly. the, what they made off of Snow White <laughs> and they built Burbank studio. Absolutely. And then just, a, and just like a few years after that, they were back in debt. So they were like, okay, we got to keep pumping these out. Pinocchio, you know, Fantasia, yes. uh, Bambi, Dumbo, all of these things that came next. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. It was like, everybody was like, you know, they called it Disney's folly. Right. Which today means Disney's mistake, mm -hmm. Disney's F up, Disney's, you know, um, misstep. Um, which is just insane because it's like the most, you know, not to like, just when you, when you think about where we are today, it is the most boring, basic, straightforward yes. fairy tale story and it still works. Yes. And the reason it works and the reason it's still timeless is because of all of the work that they put into it. It's still funny. It still holds up. But like, you would not think of Snow White as being risky. Right. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's funny because so if you um, here in Los Angeles, if you go to the New Beverly um, Theater there, they sometimes if you go to the kids shows, mm -hmm. they'll show cartoons um, before, you know, and they'll show old cartoons. And um, some of the things that I noticed from and these are cartoons from I mean, the, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but maybe some of them not even as long as Snow White. Sure. And um, they always to me 
they're they're they remind me of my childhood because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I watched a lot of cartoons, mm-hmm. um, all the Looney Tunes, all that you know. Nickelodeon did rerun all the old cartoons. Yes. Um, and so, but as an adult. The reason that I find them slightly, tra- I mean, I find them amusing, um, but uh, but is because they feel so flat. Mm-hmm. And Snow White, I was really shocked yeah. at how the camera, I mean, it feels like, like there's a sequence where the, I noticed the camera sweeps around in like a circular motion mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel flat and yeah. it doesn't, um, and that's not a criticism of hand-drawn animation. I love hand-drawn I animation yep. and there's plenty of compelling, not flat hand-drawn animation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just those old short ones sometimes feel, and also, I mean, granted, they're, they're short little short stories. Sure, like sure. it's not, but you know what I mean? But the, that's the magic of like, you know, since the beginning, since Snow White, I'm such a such a big fan of Pixar. Yeah. And Pixar, because it is more recent, because it started with Toy Story in 1995, and now, you know, every time there's a Pixar movie, and with film culture, what it is today, like, we do, we are more aware of the behind the scenes and the making of, and we get special features and all the stuff that we've grown up on, but, like, I remember what a big deal it was when they had to invent how to do hair for The Incredibles. Yeah. You know, and, I, and from then, I'm like, Pixar really is this studio that... Their innovation feeds into the storytelling. The storytelling feeds into the innovation. And that you can trace back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because they invented the multiplane camera because they, they literally had to figure out how to do stuff that they were like, this has never been done before. And part of that is getting those camera movements yeah. because it makes it feel so lifelike. Yes. The shadows and the, and the different layers. And when the camera's panning in, like the background is going to be moving at a different rate than the foreground, which is like so sophisticated. And yet with the technology available to them in 1937, it's mind-blowing because yeah. it is still just paintings on cells is how they made this movie, matched to sounds. That's it. But it's like... It moves and it feels real and it breathes and it's it's incredible. But yeah, it, it was definitely a studio at the same time uh, that they focused on storytelling. They were inventing stuff. Yes. And they inv- they invented so many processes in animation that are still in use today. They invented, uh, you know, things like the exposure sheets, which if you're not in animation, you don't even know what that is. It's this chart that times out exactly what every drawing will do down to, the, you know, how long the sequence is and, and when the words come in and what, you know, shapes and everything mm-hmm. that, like, the sound effects and dialogue are going to be making and how many layers of it and all of this stuff that was so important to the technical experts on the movie that were like the camera operators that don't get enough credit that, you know, we can all look at Snow White and go, the drawings are beautiful, the painting is beautiful, but even at the technical level, the technical experts just crushed it. And it was all this beautiful collaboration so, yeah, it was great. It was this, so when I was a kid, I had a handful. I mean, I had seen most of the movies, but there were a handful that I reached for every single time. Was mm-hmm. this the one that you would watch over and no, over again? No, of course not. Of course not. My, my favorite, and it's not just because I'm a dude, but I think that is actually a big part of it, and because I'm a brown dude. Uh-huh. Aladdin was my yeah, favorite. I Aladdin, Aladdin is, when Aladdin came out, that like that kind of shaped a lot of who I would eventually, growing up in the 90s, I was looking at cartoons after school. Mm-hmm. Batman, the animated series, was massively influential to me. Animaniacs was massively influential, but Disney was something that, you know, when the Renaissance was happening with The Little Mermaid in 1989, it was Little Mermaid, Rescue Was Done Under, which I don't know if people talk about, then like the Be- Beauty and the Beast, and then I think it was Aladdin, yeah. if I'm getting my order I right. I think that's right. So it was kind of like princess, kind of a one-off princess. So Disney was this princessy thing. Yes. Aladdin comes out, and I think it was the first movie that... Um, it's not, you know, not that I'm like, oh, boys needed more stuff. That's not the case no, at all. No. Disney made a plenty of stuff for boys. Uh, a Goofy movie is one of the greatest of all yes. time. But but that movie especially, um, I loved, also, it's still my favorite Disney princess is Jasmine. Because even in the 90s, they could tell that they couldn't continue to do the Disney standard I'm a young woman in like my teens, which is always gross. I'm yes. like 16. Yes. I think Snow White is 14 she, in this picture. She, we need, 14. We'll, we'll talk about that because <laughs> she looks very much like a child. You know, she's movie. very child. Yeah. And, and it's like these these women usually in these movies, these main characters are very, very sweet and they're very innocent. And all they care about is like, oh, I want to get married and be a princess and live in a castle. And even in the 90s, Disney knew like, we can't keep doing it. So right. Jasmine was somebody who lived in that world. She was of that world. The Sultan was trying to marry her off and she was showing up like, I am not a prize to be won. So I fell in love with Jasmine. Jasmine does improv. 
Jasmine's funny. Mm-hmm. Jasmine was, hello, doctor. Yes. Like, I, as a little kid, I was like, ooh, this is, I like her. She's great. <laughs> so that was always the one I would gra- gravitate towards. I love um, The Lion King, obviously. I love Tarzan and Hercules. Yeah. Those yeah. are the weird ones towards the end of the yep. Renaissance that aren't as good, but I love them. Yeah. Because I was right at that age. I also love The Emperor's New Groove. Classic Disney, I'm going straight to Sword in the Stone. Mm-hmm. I'm going straight to Peter Pan, 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Love those films. Yeah. It wasn't until I think I got older and really started to study animation, even before I got to college, that like, and when I was in college, that I would go back and see Snow White and Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And Pinocchio like blew my mind. Pinocchio to me is in many, many ways uh, superior to Snow White. Mm-hmm. Snow White just has that thing of like, well, they were the first. It was first. It was first, you know? But I think at the story level, the animation level, some of the humor, and especially the effects, the hand-drawn waves crashing in Pinocchio mm-hmm. is like... It's it's like mind-blowing to me. So I think Pinocchio is one of their great... I think that's my favorite and I think is the greatest of the sort of early years of Disney. I know Walt's personal favorite was Bambi. Mm. And Bambi was one when you're a kid everybody makes fun of. Everybody makes fun of. Mm. you know. And then I got older and watched it and realized Bambi's a badass. Like he's a badass character. <laughs> and the animation is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And And this was the film that... You know, I know we're talking about all Disney now, yeah. but this, but now I feel like we have to because this is the Snow White episode. It's okay. We have to cover everything. Um, I learned when I was uh, younger that Bambi was a movie that, after Steven Spielberg watched it as a kid, and he was finished with the movie, he went into his parents' room to make sure they were still alive <laughs> because of how emotionally impactful yeah. that was. And that I love that story because I have a similar story with Spielberg's own Jurassic Park uh-huh. and how it affected me when I was five. I scared the shit out of me. It, I went to go see it with my dad when I was five years old because I love dinosaurs. I'm loving it. We get to the part where the T-Rex eats the lawyer off the toilet, and I started screaming and crying and hit under the seat. <laughs> my dad had to take me out of the theater. He took my mom later to the movie that same night because he wanted to see it, like because it was that good. Yeah. He's like, I got to go finish this movie, yeah. right? The next day at school, I told my friends and the kids in my kindergarten class, hey, I saw the scariest movie of all time, Jurassic Park. And I'll never forget the bully sort of kid, kid named David, comes down off of the monkey bars, walks over, and he's like, yeah, I saw that. It wasn't scary, and walks away. And all the other kids looked at me, and they're like, Hector, you're a wuss. Like, what? Like, and that totally stole my thunder. <laughs> Took me a couple of years until I was in, like, third, fourth, fifth grade that I realized one of two things happened. Number one, David was lying to seem cool, in which case I feel bad for him. Number two, David was telling the truth. And if David was telling the truth, and he saw as a five-year-old who went to go see Jurassic Park, and it did not scare him the way I was scared, I felt special. Mm-hmm. I felt like, no, 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 I did what Steven Spielberg wanted you me to do. It. I got it. Yeah. And I and that was a defining moment for me in my childhood where I was like, I want to work in storytelling somehow because this is magical to me. This is this is the most important thing ever. Movies are the greatest thing ever. It to me, it is it is the greatest art form ever invented. And it's a way that human beings can connect and empathize and all of the best about being alive to me can summed up when you go to a movie theater if it's good for two hours and you leave and you're just like, yes, wow, right? <laughs> yes. So it was very defining for me. So like the story of Spielberg with Bambi made me appreciate Bambi on such a new level. Mm-hmm. And and um, so yeah, so I did not traditionally grow up with Snow mm-hmm. White. And I don't think most people did. I think, I think in an ideal world, I'm okay with not showing my kids Sean Connery Bond. Right. Because it's pretty dated yeah. and pretty rapey yeah. and awful, right? I'm yeah. okay with I'm okay with showing it to them when they're like 16. Sure. After a couple of you know a couple of other stuff. Sure. I'm okay with being like, hey, let's watch Austin Powers before anything. Right. Let's make fun of the thing before I show sit you down and show you the thing as if it's some important. Th- I don't want you to take away the bad stuff from Bond. We can appreciate it later. I'll probably start him with Daniel Craig. I'm not gonna lie because right. that stuff's great. <laughs> uh, ideally, though, if I have kids someday. I think I would want them to see Snow White before Shrek. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's and it's and even though even if I have a little girl, it's it's tough to um, to have them watch the film and think: Is this stuff getting to them? Is this going to affect them on a level that like maybe I won't be able to communicate to them? Might not be great. Is this you know? Can I can I communicate to a young to like a little girl like this is of a different time and men and women are different mm-hmm. and even when they made Snow White, women only worked in the ink and paint department. Mm-hmm. They could not, they were not, there were no women animators. Like it was just a completely different time and they had different priorities for storytelling. I worry about that stuff. But I think that um, even in that case, I feel like something like Shrek will be enhanced. Something like Amy Adams and Enchanted Mm -hmm. will be, like I can't imagine showing that to a little girl first. 
and hurt you. Because right. her, her frame of reference is just like, what is it? Who is this character? Yeah. What is this? But if you show them Snow White and Cinderella, which I think is gorgeous, and Sleeping Beauty, which I think is gorgeous, and then get to the movies that like parody it or spoof it or sort of like deconstruct it, even like in Frozen, when uh, um, what is, what's the character's name? It's not. Elsa? Uh, it's is it? It's not Elsa. It's Anna. It's her sister. Mm-hmm. Her sister has a whole song about falling in love with a guy in right. two seconds. Right. And then in that movie, it ends up being. This isn't. This is unhealthy, and everybody calls around on it. It's like you can't. I I love that, but I feel like you can't even get to that and sort of like have it be as impactful as right. it is without sort of sitting through, for lack of a better phrase, the classic Disney kind of BS of how they sort of treated female characters. And a part of me is kind of bummed out because I I think I'm a romantic at heart, and I love the idea of romance being in movies like this. A part of me is a little bummed out that like Disney isn't isn't still trying to do that really like Uh like they've got Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia and on the Pixar side they've got Coco and they've got you know Mm -hmm. their movies are not romance focused as they used to be Mm -hmm. I don't know if you could ever do that unless it is something like a Jasmine you know what I mean who like who is like a staunch feminist but still lives in that world I don't know what do you think did you see uh Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella I haven't yet okay so but I heard it's great my story about that is because I loved Disney the the cartoon Cinderella Mm -hmm. um even as a kid I I really liked that one I liked Peter I was a Peter Pan kid and I was I loved Sleeping Beauty but I loved Sleeping Beauty because it's essentially a horror movie it's like arguably one of the scariest it is and and she's she's great terrifying which is why I was I was pretty bummed out by the like the oh, Angelina I was like very bad she was perfectly cast but she I was. wanted that movie to be it could have better. been and should have been better but I heard Brana Cinderella yeah, was great yeah so I am um, I was going to cover that movie for Nerdist yeah and I, I had seen the trailers and I was just like oh my god yeah <laughs> like what I, Guys, yeah. why I was just and the whole way I was driving over to the screening <laughs> and I was like stupid 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 why am I going to see this stupid movie and I sat down like my arms crossed and I feel like I did not stop crying that whole movie that's good it is and here's why I love Branna's Cinderella because it is a movie about being good to other people that's the yeah that's the way you do it and and he very like like the bones are still there, Mm -hmm. you know, wicked stepmother, uh, who's vain and jealous, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, two mean stepsisters. She's the maid, all that stuff, the princess, the kid losing the shoe. He doesn't rewrite the story, but he flushes it out. And because I think at the end of the day, a lot of these Disney fairy tales, especially the earlier ones, um, not to say like Pinocchio or, or things of that nature, but like the, the princess stories, yeah. they're, they're sketches yes. to, to use an art term, but they're, but they're, they're not um, like they're templates. Yeah. And um and so by fleshing it out and by even the prince like I mean he he very actively I remember in press and he Kenneth Branagh said this um and they all said this they gave him a name yeah. because he's just <laughs> prince charming. Uh-huh. Um so they gave him a name uh-huh. and his name is Kit. And um but but they 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 made sure that in the story the the t- small storyline between the prince and his father that the moral of that story was we're not better than anybody just mm-hmm. because we are uh, wealthy. wealthy. That's well right. Yeah. And and at the end of the, you know, spoilers for Cinderella, <laughs> but at the end of Cinderella, you know, ultimately Lady Tremaine, mm-hmm. yeah, um, is it basically like, you know, gives Cinderella this, she, Cinderella basically says, look, you're not going to turn me into you. Yeah. And, and it's that not, should be the message of the movie. It is the message. That should be, instead of... You know, oh, I hope somebody can come and save me and yes, whisk me away from exactly, my hardship. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I think that that film, I actually, you know what? And this is not me like patting myself on the back, but <laughs> I, I'll put it in the show. I'll put it in the notes for this. I wrote an op-ed for Nerdist about can a fairy tale still exist? Still exist. Yeah. And it was about Branna's Cinderella. Great. And the answer was yes. And this mm-hmm. is how you do it. And look, I think too, the idea of falling in love, I was thinking about, um, because I loved Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And I I remember like, yeah, it's, you know, she meets Prince Philip and like what, and she kind of like falls, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, they they ask her, like the, she talks to the little animals and, and they're like, well, what would you do with your prince? 
and or your love. And and mm-hmm. she's like, well, we walk and we talk and like we do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you have a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't so, he's gonna buy me stuff it, and I would I would live in yes. a castle. It wasn't superficial stuff. It was like we'd walk and we talk. And yeah. that's and that's romance. Yes. You know, and so in and it is easy for us to be cynical about mm-hmm. romance, which was another reason why I loved Branna Cinderella, because it was, you know, I mean, to to <laughs> Hector's laughing because I'm like lighting up thinking about it. But the costumes were so beautiful and yeah. the and they were so beautiful. And their yeah. romance was just such a storybook, storybook and costume drama romance. But there was depth to it. And I yes. think if you are trying to, like you were saying about a future daughter, if you're trying to say, hey, I want to show you these things, but I want you to understand, mm-hmm. I felt like this was a great movie for kids to yeah, watch. You know, great. that so so they they did that one right. Yes. Um personally, I was not a fan. I did not like Maleficent either. But yeah. I think that's a notoriously faulty production. Sure, it was a different, yeah, different, different thing. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. but um, but I was I was terribly Are you gonna talk about Beauty and the Beast? I was just about to say I haven't seen it yet, but okay. I also heard it was not great. I was terribly disappointed in it. Um, however, if if what you want to see is the cartoon come to life, that's what that is. That is what and that see, is. I'm ha- I have like a very I'm very mixed on the Disney live action adaptations. I'm very because I am such a fan of animation. Yes. That on the one hand, I absolutely get because when they announced Maleficent, I thought it was brilliant. I'm like, this is what the live action thing should totally. be. They should be supplemental and they should be showing us these stories in different contexts and from different perspectives. And I was so stoked for it. And then I was bummed out, but that's a different thing. Or right. even Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Right. When it was announced, I went. Burton's perfect for it. Yeah, this is going to look awesome, and it'll be a grown-up Alice. It's a sequel. The writers Great. they got on board were yeah. very much writing it from a female perspective. Also, which super was very bummed cool. about that movie. Also, yeah. super. That was actually also fun fact. The first movie I worked on when I worked in post-production after I graduated my animation college, I, I was working on that movie down in San Diego, converting it into 3D. And that okay. was the first ever movie, Hollywood movie, that I touched. And was working on it and was so excited and it came out and I was like, all right, well, that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> and then I would go on to work on such hits like Green Lantern oh, and no. The Smurfs. Um, <laughs> so anyway. basically you don't get to work on it. You're the, you are a curse. I eventually, <laughs> listen, I eventually got to work on The Avengers. Okay. I got to work on Iron Man 3. My name's in the credits of Iron Man 3 right? as, a, as a visual effects artist. So really proud of that. I Super love cool. That. And after that I was like, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. And then did other stuff. But, but um, I, I am so mixed because I feel like the people that are in charge of these decisions to go, yes, we're going to turn this into a live action, whoever they are at Disney right now, mm-hmm. they are sort of falling to that idea that live action is more legitimate than animation. Yeah. And that bothers me. That yeah. bums me out. They're, they're, they're falling back on the idea that in the case of The Jungle Book, I love John Favreau, mm-hmm. gorgeous movie, didn't do it for me because I felt like in The Jungle Book, they didn't add enough to, yeah. to, to justify the remake, the, the, even if it was in live action. I hope I am, I don't feel the same way about Lion King. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. And yeah. I hope that they add context. And that, what you were talking about Cinderella makes me feel good because you said they didn't change the story, but they like, they, they mm-hmm. basically like fleshed it out. Yep. At least in the case of some of these animated films, which were an hour and a half, or like in Snow White's case, like 78 minutes, right. you have the space and room to do that and at least do that. Um, I also like what you said about how we can look at these things cynically but you can also, I, I just feel like I want romance to still exist. I want these sort of fairy tales to mm-hmm. still be here. I'm not cynical when it comes to Superman. Right, That's a character that I'm very precious about. And a lot of people will say, well, Superman could never work in this day and age. Which his, is his sort of Exactly. That's his, lazy. his sort of like, his, his, um, his philosophy, his, his morals. And the way you describe Cinderella being like, well, we're, I'm just like a good person. That's the way to go. Or trying to be. Trying that, to like be. That's, that's the, the point idea. is yeah. like nobody, it's not like Cinderella is blindly walking through life being abused and being like, I'm just a sweet person. Right. For, no, it's fine. This is all fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's not. A, she's not. But she is choosing to say, I'm not going to yes. let these horrible people mm-hmm. dictate and turn me into a horrible person. I love that. And yeah. and I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think anybody that says that Superman can't work today is lazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I think we're seeing it work today because we because it's Supergirl. Yeah. Oh, Super, Supergirl 100%. is Superman. 100%. Except, yeah. uh, you know, she's, I, I say this and it gets me in trouble, but it's true. Like, you know, it's so clear 
when we see live action Superman mm-hmm. right now that that they don't like him mm-hmm. and that and and that they think he's for lack of a better term a pussy yeah which and I'm using that word yep. on purpose yes um, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down yeah. okay great yeah. and um, <laughs> and uh, but but what does it say that we actually do have a and granted I'm not I'm not trying to say that I I would never suggest that I know more about Superman than <laughs> than the gentleman I'm sitting at the table with That's okay. but but as a fan and yeah. as somebody who does love the character um what does it say about us that we essentially do have Superman in live action as he's intended to be except it's a woman Yeah we can't accept Absolutely. those virtues and a masculine character. That's exactly right. It's so frustrating. It's it's crazy I just, to me. I just saw it today because I'm also a big fan of the of the romance between Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get it, but it's not their fault because it hasn't really been done to, in my opinion, kind of correctly in films yeah. and the things that people people don't read comics. Right. So I'm not blaming them for just right. like, oh, but you haven't read the most romantic thing ever, which is this comic book I read. But somebody just today tweeted like, if you do not have the same love and admiration and respect for Lois Lane as a character that Clark Kent has, yes. you don't get Superman. And to me, I'm like, that's so romantic. It's so beyond romantic to me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Speaking of, like, there's a there. So I there's this character. It's it's a. I'm de- I've got a script that I'm developing that I love. Um, but um, the counterpart, the male counterpart, is um, and it's a it's a um, private detective story. Cool. Um, and it's set, you know, in the noir world. Uh, but the private detective and her it is Max Pitts, but Max is a woman, mm-hmm. and her secretary is her husband. Great. Now, the (laughs) thing that I love so much about this character is that he is Superman. The character that I am writing is Superman in or developing in that he's the strongest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. He could kick your ass. Mm -hmm. He could, he could melt you with his eyeballs. (laughs) He could disintegrate, physically disintegrate any adversary yeah. in in the blink of an eye, but him choosing not to is always that that's is strength. That's strength. It's Stanley Tucci in Captain America: The First Avenger. <laughs> a, a weak man knows the value of strength, knows the value of compassion. That is what strength is. That's Something right. to that effect. Yes. Anyway, yeah. love Stanley Tucci. That's a great line. Stanley Tucci. Big <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I I agree with you. I agree with you. But to but to your point about romance, like you know, it's it's and look, I mean, it's a simplistic. Um, the I don't want to, you know, when I was watching, rewatching this movie, and mm-hmm. granted, oh God, I had not seen it in since I was a child, probably. Really? Yeah. Wow. Snow White was not one that was in my rotation. Sure, now I could sure. basically recite for you Peter Pan. I could. I made yeah. a list of all the like I, all the old <laughs> cartoons that I loved. Um, but but when I was rewatching this film, I didn't want to. Like I, it wasn't hard for me to uh, not approach it in a cynical way. Like right. it was, it was easy for, it was surprisingly mm-hmm. easy for it me. It melts your defenses. Exactly. It melts because it is so charming and it is so, and it's, and it is also so clear that it is of its own time. Um, but it is so beautiful and it is so straightforward. And I think that when you're watching it as an adult and you haven't seen it as a kid, you forget how scary and spooky it yes. is. How, how, you know, the queen is just, she's the prototype Maleficent. That's- she's. So that character influenced so much of what Disney did with its villains, which are like debatably better than their heroes. Their yeah. villain characters are phenomenal. So it's, um, it, yeah, there's, there's definitely like, and it's also not difficult for me to put myself in the mindset of, I'm an audience member who's watching this in the theaters in 1937 or 1938, and I've never seen something like this before. Yeah. It's, it's not difficult for me to do. Maybe because I'm a, I'm a student of the history of animation, but I also think that the movie itself, it opens with the storybook. And again, it, all of those sort of, those Disney, the way that it opens with the music, and you're like, I must have heard this a million billion times. Yeah. It seems so classic. It seems like it's ripping off something else because it is in fact the originator. <laughs> exactly. And the music and hi-ho, hi-ho, it's, it's home from work, we go. You know, everything is just so like, such a staple that it it's easy to put yourself in. It's like how I feel when I watch The Wizard of Oz, which Snow White basically I'm greenlit. I'm so glad that you the brought Wizard that of Oz up because The Wizard of Oz is another movie you can you can lobby the same sort of mod- modern day criticisms and uh, analysis too, and that's fine, and we should do that. But it's also easy to go, yeah, but it's Wizard of Oz. Like like leave it alone. Like it's it's great. Yeah, it's great for what it was, and it changed the world, and that's what Snow White did. Yeah, I I was a, as a as a child who like Wizard of Oz was my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, that uh, rewatching the movie, I was like, oh my god, some of this is like 
just point <laughs> for point, yeah. uh, Dorothy and, you know, her counterparts and, you know, mm -hmm. I'll miss you most of all. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but yes, I noticed those similarities and that was so interesting to me. Um, but the queen, I wanted to ask, I, now that I know more about your animation backward, mm -hmm. uh, background, I want to talk about the queen's transformation mm. scene because I wrote that, like there, I, I wrote a page about a page of notes. Um, and uh, because you know what? It's a simple, it's it's simple yeah. and these are broad strokes, <laughs> you know, and to use the metaphor again. Um, but but that scene was something where I, I was like drawing arrows and I was like, oh my God. I mean, that mm -hmm. sequence is is scary. Yeah. And, and it's like werewolf transformation. Yes. It's, you know, with the fingers elongating and everything. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, that, I love that analogy, actually. The <laughs> idea that it's like the, for the prototype transformation, werewolf transformation. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, what do you think, I mean, talk about risk. Like mm -hmm. you, you, the, all the scary stuff in this movie mm -hmm. is legitimately scary. Mm -hmm. The oh, and when she's walking out to get onto when the you know the hag is walking out to get onto the boat and the prisoner bones is yeah. reaching out for the water she's and she's thirsty? like oh my god <laughs> just like that's yeah. so fucked up yeah. <laughs> like that's like next level yeah. you know and and it's confusing sometimes because I think you watch this movie and. There's so much of it that is clearly for children. Yes. And then there's so much of it that's you're like that. This is a they're treating this as though this is a, a movie for everyone. This yes. is a they're not looking at it as oh we're making a kids movie. Um. And so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that all of that what you said is so spot on. I think that like people dismiss the idea that Disney traditionally makes movies that are not for children, but rather can still be viewed by children. That is a very important distinction to make. When I look at something like Despicable Me in the Minions movies and the Smurfs movies, I'm like, this is for kids. Right. And it's insulting. Yeah. And it's annoying and it's grating and it like wears its its welcome out real quick, right? But Disney, even from the beginning, you know, people think of Disney now, especially the sort of fanboy culture that knows that Marvel is owned by Disney, mm -hmm. Star Wars is owned by Disney, Disney might make a new Indiana Jones movie that they're like, right. oh, they're going to Disneyfy it. But I can still point to stuff in Marvel movies and go, look, these are for every all ages, yeah. and that's okay. But there's still stuff in here that is for adults. The the I mean, Iron Man three has an Osama bin Laden type character. Mm -hmm. That's that's crazy, right? You know. Um, well, Iron Man the first. Oh, well, I guess that was that was that was technically yeah, Paramount you're right, then, you're right. but that's still but that was still Good point. But that was still an entry that like that Disney looked at that brand and go, yeah, yeah, this can be they, part of totally. our you yes. know. And even that movie that still follows. Uh, uh, the formula of we're going to make a PG-13 film really for all ages. Like kids can kind of watch this, but there's going to be stuff in there that's going to be for adults. And the opening to that movie is Tony Stark getting the little sheet, you know, the hood taken off of him. Mm -hmm. And he's in like a terrorist, what seems like a beheading video. Mm -hmm. And the adults know what that is. We know what right. that is. And that's terrifying. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's Disney, you know, purposefully, even back in 1937, knowing we're going to have a sequence that is going to be really scary. The, the, the queen turning into the old hag. Or even when uh, Snow White is running through the forest, the forest and getting grabbed by these, by these trees. And yes. I'm watching the special features. And Walt and all of the animators, they knew that like we want to let the audience know and probably the adult audience know that like this could all be in Snow White's head, which mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. But it's still scary and spooky enough for kids to kind of be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on Snow White's side. It's just good storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that people dismiss the fact that you've got the old hag, that you've got the huntsman who's about to stab Snow White right. in the heart. Right. Because when you go to Disneyland Park, you don't see the huntsman walking around. You just see Snow White. You right. just see all of the sort of kitty, you know, elements of these movies is what sort of endured and what you see on TV and what you see in... Um, merchandising and stuff like right. that. But man, from the beginning, Walt Disney knew like we're going to make a film that that we're going to take advantage of the of the medium of animation. You could not have a transformation sequence like that was special that was cutting edge special effects yeah. to have the queen be the same character and voiced by the same actress too, which is a great little trivia thing mm -hmm. that the actress who came in to voice the queen was a little bit older. Everybody's worried she wasn't going to be able to do it. She knocked it out of the park. She was like, "I can also do the old hag." And then she took out her false teeth and did the old hag. Oh my god. And so, and That's so convincingly great. that in the scene where she is with Snow White and she goes, "My heart, my heart." When she recorded that in the booth, the, the booth operators and the animators thought she was actually like having a heart attack and they went to her because oh she was that God. good of an actress. So like Walt Disney knew to, to put in that level of sophistication for the audience and that that was going to, and again, mixed in with that, 
he knew that like Disney coming from a place of we did Steamboat Willie, we're doing all these shorts, all of these, you know, these sort of um, these little shorts with these cartoon characters that are all gags. Mm -hmm. We can't do a full movie of gags. Right. But we're going to like heavily focus on the dwarves to do all of our gag stuff. Yes. But at the same time, if we do not inject heart, this isn't going to work. And at the end of that movie, when Snow White is dead and the dwarves are crying and sniffling, Mm -hmm. these are the comedic foils of the film and they're sniffling. You know, when you research the movie, people were crying in the theaters back then. Sure. And I'm sure that if you show that to a kid, a little boy or girl, they're going to be emotionally upset because it's because it's 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 him putting that heart in. And that's what, what the difference is between the short and then the feature length. It's mm-hmm. like the only way we can do feature length is if we include heart. Right. And if we include some of those uh, those those that that danger. Those level of sophistication, the level of sophistication of, I mean, in that sequence at the end of it, the hag turns right to the camera mm-hmm. and it was spooky. Yeah. And I think back to like, man, if people were afraid of like a train coming to the screen and they got out of the way, like how did they react when the, when the hag, that must've been some 3D effects uh, back in the day. <laughs> and and to, to take the Wizard of Oz comparison even further, I mean, when the witch turns, she's in the globe and the Wicked yeah. Witch, you know, is making fun of, Dorothy's crying and and the Wicked Witch is essentially the Wicked Witch from the this movie yeah. because she's going, oh, I'm so sad. And then she turns to the screen and, or turns to the camera and the camera pushes in. It's the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Is there anything else that is standing out to you about, about Snow White in particular that you want to touch on? I think that if you're going to have a list of the hundred greatest movies of all time, Snow White should be on there. Uh huh. But I think that, and this is maybe going to segue into our next yeah. discussion. The reason I picked it too is because I wanted to talk about how like, I still am kind of frustrated by this by this fantastic list of great movies, AFI's top 100, you know, that are there obviously for the quality of the film and the story, but they're also there because of cultural impact. Yes. You cannot deny the impact of Snow White. Right. I personally believe that story-wise, other animated films have surpassed it. Absolutely. And I think that the fact that the only two movies on there are Snow White and Toy Story, the first animated and the first CG yeah. movie, is reducing animation to just innovation. And that's frustrating to me because animation is not a genre, it's a medium. And I was trying to think in my head, I'm like, well, how many should there be? And I settled on 10. Out of a top 100, can I get 10? Can we get 10 Mm -hmm. animated movies that like change the world and deserve to be on there? Let's get, listen, it's a great movie, but let's get rid of Annie Hall. Let's bring in Beauty and the Beast. Can we, you know what I'm saying? Like, please, can we do that? Can we, there's so many movies that, that, that deserve animated films that deserve to be on this list. Uh, I love Wallace and Gromit and The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Kubo and the Two Strings is one of my Kubo. favorite stop motion and animated movies, period, and it just recently came out. I was, my life changed when I saw Coco. I love Inside Out. I love The Incredibles. Every single Toy Story. Toy Story 3, I think, is even better than Toy Story yeah. 1. Um, uh, not just CG, but then you've got Aladdin, The Lion King, uh, uh, um, Peter Pan. Uh, there's just, there's so many that... To me, it is still frustrating that animation kind of gets a bad rap. It's yeah. seen of it's seen as a genre as opposed to just no, no, no. Just go and see this movie. It's something that I've been passionate about my whole life. I mean, when I was a kid, and I would be watching The Simpsons. My dad would sit down on the couch and go, "Hey, change it. It's a cartoon. Change it." And he would just like not want to watch it. I'd be like, "Okay, sure." And I would hold for about a couple minutes until there was a good joke, and then my dad would laugh, and I'd be like, "I'm in the clear." Mm-hmm. And it's this thing that's just like it's it's limiting. It's limiting to think that way. So I have a pick. Can we get it? Can we talk about? It? Can we get into it? Yes, I'm the, ready. The pick that I w- that I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt deserves a spot on the 100 greatest list is The Iron Giant. My favorite movie of all time, Clark. My favorite movie of all time. I think it's a perfect film. I love it. And I think that um, like everything about that movie is perfect. And I think that if you're looking at animation as a vehicle to give you story, I cannot think of any story. I could tear up right now just thinking about it that has affected me and that can I cannot watch that movie and not cry. I can't. And I've seen it like, everybody says I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it probably like 30 times mm-hmm. front to back in my lifetime, which is still a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a movie that I keep going back to as, as uh, nope, no no movie that has come out since has beat it. Um, I just, it, 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 it made me want to work in animation when I was a kid. It kind of changed my life. It's a great example of a studio not knowing what they got. The history of that movie. Yes. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet. I haven't. Did you know There's, that Mark Bernardin picked this one? Wait, you haven't seen The Iron Giant? I haven't. Oh, Clark. 
I I told I told Mark this. I know. So I, I feel like I watched it when I was a kid, but didn't really pay attention. Well, here, here's maybe what happened because I didn't see it in theaters because yes. it was in theaters in two seconds right. in August of 1999. Cartoon Network recognized its brilliance, and a couple mm. of years after that would pl- would pl- would air it 24 hours straight on Thanksgiving Day. No kidding. Every I year. Know that. So in like the in like the early 2000s. The Iron Giant was like the Thanksgiving movie. Wow. And I and I wanna say that was the first time I watched it. Um, I may have even been aware of the Iron Giant and and being this animated movie with a big robot and me thinking that looked cool in yeah. 1999. And after it came out and I and it came in I, and went and I missed it, I may have seeked it out on video or DVD and may have seen it there. But I remember vividly the the Thanksgiving Day marathon, the way that like my parents first saw it, you know, we would catch it halfway through and then when it was ending, it's like, let's just, let's start from the beginning right. you know, because it's that good. But um Oh my God. I'm blown away. You haven't seen it yet. I might like, I might have to let you borrow it when you walk out of my apartment. I, I right would now. I would love to. I will okay. be I you can ask Christian Harloff. I return my videos <laughs> on time when they are requested. Yeah. Um well no, it's funny because Mark Bernardin picked this one. Yeah. And uh for the one he would add. And um by the way, I love that this is the first time the two people have added the same movie. This, it, is, it, so this, great. this is the movie that it deserves to yeah. Yes, I but agree. um but and so I looked for it um on all of the streaming platforms yes. um, and I mean it's there but I mean like I looked for it on HBO yep. and Showtime and all Listen, that. Listen everybody but you just gotta buy it on Blu-ray people. I, exactly. That's why. So, and, <laughs> and that's why I haven't watched it since Mark recommended but I have mm-hmm. looked for it so I, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely one that I have been pursuing okay. but um, okay. that's that's so funny but that's a great I mean it's a it's it's a very it's a revered choice and you know the thing about this list uh i too like to rage against the machine sure. it's it's part of it look i mean i i'm not i'm not uh, picking <laughs> on the list because the list is i it's was great. actually thinking um while i was watching snow white they need to change the name of this list yeah. to influential or important yes the 100 most important movies. Not the, the, the all-time exactly, or the greatest the or great, it, it, Because it's tough to, yeah. And, and because, like, as you say, and I think most people would agree, um, that, that Snow White is probably not the best animated film of all time. Objectively, exactly. But it is the first and arguably the most or one of the most important. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and the whole reason that I thought about this, add it to add, make your own list and add one, is because, you know, there's things that on, on some of these <laughs> lists where I'm, especially as a horror nerd, which yeah. is not, you know, um, oh, yeah. one of the more respected genres. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like, I feel, I feel your pain and I'm right there with yeah. you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I, I'm with you and I get you and, um, it's like, look, you look at this list and I, I just started a podcast with my buddy Keller that is this podcast right here that is going through a movie a week talking about this list from Empire Magazine the 500 greatest movies of all time. Empire is English, yes? Yes, it is. It's, okay. a, it's a British magazine. It's in, in the UK. And um, number 500 is Ocean's Eleven remake with George Clooney. Great film. Number 499 is Saw. Ooh. Now, you're a big horror person. Yeah. And I don't like Saw, but it's on this list because of its impact. Yes. It's a million-dollar movie that made $100 million. Yes. Like, totally, I yes. get it. But you look at this, even in this list of 500 greatest movies of all time, the same with the AFI list of the 100. You can clearly study it and look at it and go, this skews towards older dudes. That's that's the key to it. That's and, the key to it. The and, older dudes that love cinema because Hollywood is skewed towards older dudes. It's yes. a boys club. It's a classic, you know, with, with mostly male-driven stories, with mostly male-driven creators. This is the results you're going to get. It makes sense. That's why something like Annie Hall is on there. I love Annie Hall. It's a great movie. But like, you know, lest we forget, Annie Hall... Uh, beat Star Wars to win the Oscar. Right. Like that, that kind of, when you look right. back and you go, really, that rom-com? Like, was it that? Yeah. Did it shatter people's minds? You know, so there's movies on there that you're like, okay, impact. And there's other movies that you're like, but but why? But why is it on there? So the same is the case with the 500, but it's, it's. It, I, I think that it's getting better, obviously. And I think that, that the more movie lovers there are, the more people are going to stand up and go, well, I want to work in that. Right. And then you're going to get stories like Coco. You're going to get stories like Wonder Woman. You're going to get these movies that really will change people's lives. And little boys and girls are watching these in there. And 20 years from now, they're going to be making stuff that's going to be amazing. 
and they will have not have heard of if they were born in a different era. Yes, Where, but what I wanted to say about this show and reevaluating the list and like reevaluating the lens with which we look at art and yeah. and what is valuable and what isn't, um, that's part of the reason why I started this show is because I wanted people who maybe have a different perspective mm -hmm. who haven't seen their vote count essentially right. in the pantheon of classic cinema. Right. You know, we can unpack it and we can appreciate appreciate the things that have come before, but also say like, you know, but I don't necessarily agree. Yes. Um, and, um, but I wanted to tell you, uh, about your, about your, your podcast yeah. and the 500, um, to put saw, well, when was this? This was in 2008. Okay. It's from 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> then they need to update their list because what yeah. I would say, and I'm glad that's something that I'm really glad that um, AFI does allegedly, is, is they they, they do update their list. And um, as they should, because I think to your point, Beauty and the Beast specifically, like I mean, if you're going to pick a Disney, it, I yeah. mean, well, you don't have to boot Snow White, but you should, you know, I think um, Beauty and the Beast will definitely probably In be addition. on it. Just give me 10. Exactly. 10%, 10 out of 100. Um, but uh, what I was going to say, is when they redo when Empire redoes their list mm -hmm. um, you can boot Saw but I mm -hmm. mean The Conjuring I would argue yeah. is one of yeah. the greatest movies to come out Paranormal over the activity. last that's it was released after 08 and yeah. massively influential. And yes. they have other horror movies on here. Obviously, The Exorcist. I'm looking at A Nightmare on Elm Street sure, at sure. number 162. Like they've got, they they do have a, a little, a sort of a representation of horror. But yes. as you can imagine, it's probably not as well represented as people that are very familiar with the genre. Yes. Um, so this is an interesting list. So yeah, this is magazine's 10 years old. I'm kind of hoping that they don't come out with an updated oh list because God. the podcast that my buddy <laughs> and I are doing yeah. is going to take 10 years to finish. Oh my God. 500 movies, a movie oh. a week will be 10 years. But another part of me does want to see an updated list because it's like, well, maybe we'll just do two I was about concurrently. To say, like we'll just do like the 08 version yes. and then the 2018 oh, version. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's just it's a season two. The just 2018 two. version to, is your season to two. To see how to see like what the what what new movies would be added because so many movies even from 08 to now oh, changed gosh. the game. Avatar. Didn't uh, did there will be blood come out? Is there, oh, was that I think 07? That's in here. Okay, good. I think because that, is that in one here. is yes. no always... country for old, old man. And there will be blood. I think we're both 07 and they're both here. Good. But um, the Brits but so are always films, ahead of us. They know what's up. So final thoughts. I'll say something like Snow White is super charming, but you can still pull so much as an adult at any age, at any age, mm -hmm. and that's not easy to do. And if you cannot recognize it, that's not easy to do. I feel like in the case of Snow White, it's just because you've seen it done so many times because yeah. so many other people lifted it from Snow White. Right. The Iron Giant does things that I do not think a live action movie could ever do. That I'm precious about. Obviously, don't ever remake it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a perfect film to me. And I'm going to give you this, Clark, before you see the movie in case you already haven't mm -hmm. talked about it and are aware of it. A couple of years ago, I went to a, a, a convention here in LA and they had a panel about like a, a like a 10th anniversary or not 10th anniversary. It couldn't have been 2009, was it? No, it was 15th, whatever the case, The Iron Giant. Brad mm -hmm. Bird was there, the yeah. director, a bunch of producers and writers were there. And they also screened for the first time a documentary called The Giant's Dream that was the making of the film mm -hmm. that I... Didn't know that I would love the making of story and the intent behind the movie as much as I love the movie. And I think that they're essential to one another and they're, 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 they're both there. And it's thankfully, it's a special feature on the Blu-ray that I'm going to let you borrow as you walk out, yes. the physical media. Um, but in the documentary, I didn't realize this, but Brad Bird uh, lost his sister to gun violence a few years before mm -hmm. he started working on this movie, like pretty soon beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, his sister was killed by her husband. Mm -hmm. and it devastated him because they were very, very close. Like, it devastated him. And he is an artist, and when he had a chance to go to Warner Brothers Animation after he was disenfranchised with where Disney was at the time, mm -hmm. he stopped working for Disney. They were like, well, we have these properties, and we have this, the Iron Giant, like, children's book thing, and, we, you know, and, and we could maybe get the music of a, of a famous pop star, like the way that animated movies are done at the time, and what do you think? And so he read the story, and came back and basically basically rewrote what the idea of the original sort of poem, small sort of short book is, and he turned it into an anti-gun message. And this is something I was not even aware of as a kid because it does not hit you over the head with it. But the, but the, but the theme of the movie is, if a gun had a soul, would it want to be a gun? Mm -hmm. And Brad Bird's resounding answer is, no, of course not. And I, ugh, it's like, yeah. it's, I'm choking up right now. Like yeah. that is so beautiful to me and so important. 
And it's a great way to use art to describe how somebody feels and to to maybe convince people who wouldn't underst- who wouldn't get that, mm-hmm. you know, by using empathy and by using emotion and by using humor and by using animation and by using all these different things. And he was able to tell that message in a way that it's not rated R for ages 17 and up. Right. Right? Kids can pick up on that. I picked up on that as a kid. I knew as a kid, if a gun had a soul, would it want to be a gun? I remember the moment where the giant is pointing a barrel at Hogarth and Hogarth is like, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. And his compassion in that character's heart like gets through to this, to this threat, to this idea of the Iron Giant. So you got to watch the movie. you got to watch the documentary. Mm-hmm. Watch it afterwards. Um, and when I look at that, I go, there's in so many ways, like live action will never be able to do that kind yeah. of stuff. So, you know, it's, I, I, it goes back to when I was a kid and I saw Jurassic Park and I got it. I feel bad for people who don't get it right. today. I feel bad for people who will look at a movie where there's so much to me, passion and heart and creativity oozing through it. And they're like, nah, I don't get it. Not for me. Mm-hmm. No, it's for babies. It's for kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not tough. You're not like, <laughs> like, let it go, man. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, that's harder to do than, yeah. than, than a Tarantino movie that has an F word every four seconds. That's hilarious. That's great. But like, could Tarantino do a PG movie? Apparently not. Cause even his Star Trek is going to be rated right. R. Like it, like, so there's different skill sets. Yeah. Tarantino is amazing at what he does, but it's what he does. Yes. I, yeah. So that's what it comes down to. I love it. Okay. Good answer. I'm sorry. That was the most long-winded. That, do not apologize. <laughs> that was exactly what I wanted. I got to do it. This is the animation episode. It we is. Have, it has to be four hours long. I have learned so much, <laughs> and this is wonderful, and I am grateful for your time. And uh, and because, no, I I knew when, I, when you picked this movie, I was like, this is going to be cool. <laughs> I'm going to learn stuff. And, and, and I have no idea where this conversation is going to go, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, I'm, I can't wait to have it. And I'm so glad that we did. That was this fun. Was great. That was great. I cleared my, my whole day. I cleared my schedule. I was like, <laughs> wait, we're doing this at 11 a.m.? I'm going to clear the rest of the day because when I get into the Iron Giant, I'm going to get going. <gasps> We can we can keep going. Let's <laughs> no, let's change we, the. We gotta wrap it up. Okay, we have okay, to, okay. Because I will. So. All right. Thank you, Hector. <laughs> Thank you very much. that's going to do it for us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hector is a mensch and I have watched The Iron Giant. (laughs) Hector did absolutely lend me the DVD or the Blu-ray as I walked out the door. I promised him I would get it back to him in a week. I did watch it within a week. I still have the Blu-ray, but don't worry. He's cool with it. He's, He's not in a hurry and he knows that I'm ready to bring it back to him at any time. But I have watched The Iron Giant. I have watched the documentary, The Giant's Dream, that Hector also mentions, which is also available on the Blu-ray, and uh, I'm very glad I did. Alrighty, friends, so we've got a mini coming, a Patreon-exclusive mini coming for $5 and above monthly contributors, so if you're interested, go over there and check out the Patreon. This month, we did uh, we're, we did live streams, watch-alongs, video content. I did giveaways. I sent people prizes. Yeah, you guys, all that stuff right over there at patreon.com slash Clark Wolf, but uh, if nothing else, if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the show. Uh, Uh, and rate and review it because that helps me uh, with my numbers and uh, helps me grow this little mama. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will see you guys on Thursday. Bye. (laughs) 